Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. Today I have a very exciting topic for you, which was triggered by the article that I mentioned in the previous episode, which I've since had a chance to read. And that article is called The Final Gathering. And it's a very beautiful take on the messages to the churches in the book of Revelation, basically inviting people from all churches to first of all look up as Jesus said look up to the heavens and to see the sign of Jesus's return and in so doing to come into unity in the hope and faith that we share as Christians and so that's a beautiful article and I encourage you to read that and that isn't actually our subject today but I think this uh idea of of the gathering of God's people fits very well with the theme that's been building in the previous episodes of this podcast. We've spoken a lot about how Bitcoin serves to the purposes of God at this point in time. And Bitcoin is a system that is distributed, which gives it its strength. But at the same time, there's an element of unity Bitcoin nodes are distributed all around the world. And while it might seem like an anarchy on the one hand, with everyone running their own node and everyone doing what is right in their own eyes, so to speak, this opens the way for unity to be demonstrated in the way that consensus is handled. So by individuals choosing which version of Bitcoin Core they will run, They are rallying around the protocol and rallying around the features of Bitcoin in a way that protects the system as a whole against attackers. So there's a very interesting dynamic uh, playing out between sort of the concept of scattering, which we've talked about also in in, in a previous episode in relation to the Tower of Babel, how God scattered the power of the people. And we see that scattering in the sort of distributed nature of the Bitcoin network. But at the same time, we see a gathering, which is this uh, sort of notion of consensus, where everybody sort of gathers around the uh, concepts of, of, of what true money should be and how it should function. And that actually reflects very much how the church operates. When Christ left the earth, he bestowed upon the church the Holy Spirit, which guides the individual believer and as a whole forms this uh, movement of consensus, so to speak, in the church body in order to guide and direct the church as a whole. And so that's very much reflected in the way that Bitcoin operates. And I would like to maybe delve into that in a different episode sometime. But 
I just think it's worth kind of pointing that out in relation to the topic that we have today. And so this article I mentioned uh, speaks about sort of the gathering of the churches into uh, one fold, bringing them into uh, unity. And that is uh, very relevant and very appropriate, especially in the context of Bitcoin, because as Christians adopt Bitcoin, their influence then and their, uh, their part in the consensus process will help ensure that the network remains aligned with the principles of God's kingdom. In a way, they are able to cast their vote, so to speak, in terms of how the uh, Bitcoin network continues to operate. And in the previous episode, we talked a little bit about BlackRock and the possibility that if uh, enough people invest uh, in Bitcoin, uh, that the governments could try to force a code change on uh, the Bitcoin network and how ultimately the community of Bitcoiners, who of, of node runners in particular, um, would be the ones who would have to decide which version they're going to continue to run. And so it's very possible and very relevant to sort of want to rally God's people together and stand together, as we talked about in that episode. And that is expressed, that is put into practice in the way that individual node runners choose which version of Bitcoin to run. And thus, collectively, which version of consensus rules are to be enforced. And if or when attackers want to uh, fight against that and fork the code and ultimately cause a fork in the blockchain, then uh, God's people will be able to stand together and uh, maintain the integrity of the Bitcoin network. So it's really a beautiful system, and it's one that aligns very much with how God ordained the church to function through the Holy Spirit. And so that's really, I think, an important point as it relates to the final gathering. But what tipped me off uh, in that article uh, in regards to the subject that I want to talk to you about today is actually not the subject itself so much as a single verse that was quoted near the beginning of that article. And that verse is actually a quote from the book of Daniel, chapter 7 and verse 10. Now, we referred to this chapter in one of the previous episodes, and it's describing a vision that Daniel received of the kingdoms of this world from his time all the way until the end of the world, until the establishment of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And as he's describing this vision, I'm just going to pick up in verse 9, and then verse 10 is the the verse that we really want to focus on. But um, as he's describing this vision, he says specifically, he says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire." Now, this is introducing the judgment scene. So it's speaking about the Ancient of Days, and it 
describes his hair being white. If you imagine or remember how judges in uh, times past used to wear these wigs with white hair, uh, with long white hair, uh, this is kind of the the setting here. It's a setting of judgment, and uh, that becomes clear also in the next verse. So, uh, but in verse nine, it's I want to emphasize that it says, "I beheld till." Till this scene uh, appears. So uh, Daniel saw from his time all the way to the day of judgment. Okay. And now, now into verse 10, it says, A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Now, that's a loaded verse, and uh, there's a lot in there. And, well, uh, I want to focus particularly on the number that's given here. It's describing the kingdom of God here by naming a number. And that number is thousand thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. Now, we have a tendency sometimes when we read things like this to just sort of say, oh, wow, you know, that's just many. It's just, you know, and we don't sometimes give enough weight to why God uses certain numbers or certain expressions or certain symbolism. Everything in the Bible, especially in prophecies, every word has significance. And God chooses symbols, imagery, in order to convey a particular idea or encapsulate a meaning. And that includes the use of numbers. And so, you know, if you just look at this literally, I mean, just like absolutely literally, it would be a little bit um, insulting, I would say, to God to say that his kingdom consists of thousand thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. I mean, that's a pretty finite number and a pretty small number in the scheme of the universe. If you just look up to the night sky and you see how many stars there are and you imagine the vastness of the universe and, and then think about how many stars the latest telescopes are able to see and how vast the universe really is and that it seems like every few years, new technology reveals that the universe is, you know, I think the recent expansion with the Gaia survey uh, discovered that the universe was a hundred times bigger than it was previously thought to be. And so our concept of how vast the universe is, is always expanding. And basically the universe is infinite and God's kingdom therefore, is infinite. And so if you read this verse with a very literal mindset, you come away with a pretty small opinion of how God, how big God really is. Um, you know, his kingdom is only thousand thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. So it's obviously not meant to be an actual literal number. It must be either symbolic or or simply insignificant. One could argue that Daniel just couldn't conceive how many people there are, and he just, you know, said, oh, there were just thousands, you know, thousands and thousands, and, you know, and that it was just meant in a very loose way. 
But this is then kind of sliding the power of God to speak through visions and through prophetic symbolism. And if you take that kind of a lackadaisical approach to how you understand prophecy, then basically you can kind of hand wave everything away and, you know, all prophecy then becomes insignificant because you don't really know what has meaning and what doesn't. And if you believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God, then every word should be given its due weight. And that includes this number that Daniel described. And just to kind of emphasize the point that this is a significant number, when we come to the book of Revelation in the New Testament and we compare, now let's go to chapter 5 of the book of Revelation. And we're going to look specifically at verse 11. Verse 11 says, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So here we have the same number repeated in the book of Revelation. And this corroborates the fact that the number itself is significant and that Daniel wasn't just sort of, you know, spouting off, uh, oh, there were just so many people. It was, it was thousands of people. No, uh, the, there was actually a specific number. And here in Revelation, he specifically says, and I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. If you take the word of God as inspired, then Revelation says the number was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So it not only says the same thing as Daniel, but it emphasizes the point that this is the number. It's not just a hand-waving. So now we are really at the point where we have to say, okay, what does this number mean? Because obviously we don't want to insult God by saying that, oh, you know, his kingdom only consists of this many angels. There must be a different meaning here. And furthermore, it's worth mentioning we are speaking of the judgment here. And that just as Daniel spoke of the judgment being set, the thrones being set, the books being opened, and the judgment beginning, that Revelation here speaks about this same scene and describes the same number of people. Now, one could argue that the number that's described here is not necessarily the entire number of the entire population of God's kingdom. But what we can say is that this is a description of the judgment scene. So in the time of the judgment, this is the number that praises God and that sings praises to the Lamb that was slain to receive power, who was Jesus Christ. 
So one way or another, at the time of the judgment, this number must have a significance because Daniel and John both specify this number. And at the very least, we can say that this number represents the kingdom of God, even if it is not the size of the entire kingdom. In some way, in connection with the judgment, it must represent the kingdom of God. And this is where Bitcoin comes into the picture. Now, ever since I understood that Bitcoin has something to do with God and with the Bible and with his kingdom and the return of Jesus Christ, I pondered why 21 million. In fact, to this day, I'm not quite sure what the reason is for that number being chosen in the first place by Satoshi Nakamoto. But I thought to myself, well, if I were going to choose a number, and I've studied, like many others, uh, some of the numbers and their meaning in the Bible. And so just if just think about it with me for a minute. If you were to describe God's kingdom in terms of numbers, how would you describe it? Where would you begin? Well, one might begin with the number seven, for example, for Jesus. Seven represents perfection, and it's widely known as the number of Jesus Christ, just because he was the perfect one who never sinned. And so seven represents Jesus. Or you could also extend that to say another well-understood biblical number is the number three, and this represents the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three divine persons of the Godhead. And regardless of whether, you know, where you stand on the Trinity doctrine itself, I think it's pretty self-evident that there are three entities, three persons that we're dealing with. Uh, there is the Father, God the Father. There is the Son, Jesus Christ. These are both named in person, described in fact in this scene in the book of Revelation, this scene of the judgment where Jesus, the Lamb, comes to the Father and is presented with a book. So, uh, you know, those two are undeniable. And then the third uh, person, the Holy Spirit, is equally undeniable. I mean, the New Testament is very clear about the fact that the Holy Spirit was sent to and given to the church and that he is a, a person, that he is the comforter and is the representative of Jesus Christ. Since Jesus is no longer omnipresent, the Holy Spirit is his representative to each and every Christian around the world simultaneously. So if you were to sort of put this and conceptualize it in terms of numbers, as uh, is often done in the Bible, in prophetic symbolism and in other contexts, then it seems to me that a likely way to describe the sort of, you know, divine leadership of God is through the number seven, seven for your father in heaven, who is perfect, seven for Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect and sinless life on earth, and seven for the Holy Spirit, who dwells in the hearts of all Christians. And putting that together, you have 7 plus 7 plus 7, which is 21. 
or seven times three, which is 21. And there you immediately see, oh, wait a minute, 21, there are 21 million Bitcoins and there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoins. Could the number 21 million have something to do with God's kingdom? Well, now consider what we read in the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, where it speaks of, it describes God, first of all, presiding over the judgment, and then it goes on to describe how many people are in attendance serving him. And the number is thousand thousands, or uh, in Revelation, thousands of thousands. Well, that's a million. A thousand thousands is a million. And so if you combine a million with the 21 for three times seven, the 21 that we figured out for the Godhead, then you get millions, thousands of thousands, which is namely 21 million, okay? Sort of described in symbolic form in the scene itself, in the way that God is described and the people around him in the context of the judgment. I just had to say, wow, that's kind of amazing. But on the other hand, then I, you know, if you remember back to the first episode here, you know, I was asking myself, wait, can that really be? I mean, come on. Is that really a significance there? Is that really intended? Is, was Bitcoin really prophesied in these numbers or am I just seeing things here? Well, what really convinced me is then the next part. Both Daniel and Revelation in these verses that we read speak of 10,000 times 10,000. So first there was thousand thousands ministered unto him. And then it says, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And it just hit me like a brick because I do my accounting in Satoshis, and I'm very familiar with looking at the number of decimal places to convert Bitcoin to Satoshis. As you know, there are exactly 100 million Satoshis per Bitcoin, and that ends up being eight decimal places or eight zeros after the decimal. And visually, you can kind of you know, you, you, you know, just like with any kind of system of, of money, you kind of get used to the sizes, uh, you know, the denominations, the, the amounts of the money. And when you're looking at Satoshis, you know, a thousand Satoshis, you know, you kind of have a feel for how much that is. You know, for example, a Bitcoin transaction is going to be, you know, in the thousands of Satoshis depending on how busy the blockchain is. And so, you know, you kind of get used to looking at, okay, four decimal places, and then you've got thousands after that. So you kind of get used to visually looking at the number of decimal places. And I just said to myself, wow, now I get it. 10,000 times 10,000 is the 100 million Satoshis per Bitcoin. And so right there in the symbolism of the book of Daniel and in the book of Revelation, you have the exact prescription of the monetary denominations of God's kingdom. You've got the 21 representing the Godhead, and then you've got the million Bitcoins representing the ones who minister before him. And then you've got the 100 million Satoshis per Bitcoin representing all those who stand before him. And so I just think, wow, that is utterly amazing. Now, just to kind of explore that a little bit further, money is almost always printed with a person's 
uh, you know, picture on it or name. Uh, back in the old days, the coins had, you know, Caesar's image and inscription on it. And there's the famous reference uh, that Jesus made when they tempted him regarding money. You know, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? You know, and Jesus answered them, well, show me a coin whose inscription is on that coin. And of course, yeah, it's Caesar's inscriptions. So yeah, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. So every coin has a sort of name or signature or picture or image on it that represents the kingdom or the king of the kingdom. Now, uh, what's really interesting is, you know, and well, okay, first of all, look at existing currencies, right? Not only do we have pictures of, you know, like, for example, on the U.S. dollar, we have pictures of the U.S. presidents. The $1 bill has George Washington. And, you know, it's even so well recognized that we refer to the money by the person who's on it. So, for example, you can say, just give me three George Washingtons, then you know the person wants $3. Well, in a, in a quite literal sense, today we're starting to say, oh, you just pay me 3,000 Satoshis. We're literally naming the person who's on the money, who's on the individual unit of the money. And so uh, you can think of the Satoshi being the Bitcoin equivalent of the George Washington. That's, you know, one unit. And of course, Bitcoiners are looking forward to the day when, when the Satoshi is, is at parity with the George Washington, literally. But, and even you can think of having, uh, you know, cents even beneath that level uh, where each Satoshi, you know, on the Lightning Network, for example, each Satoshi can be subdivided into uh, milli Satoshis. So there's the parallel there with with the Satoshi being the unit which has the figure of the national leader on it. So you can kind of ask yourself then, well, okay, so who do you want to pay taxes to, so to speak? I mean, who, whose money do you want to be transacting in? Whose money do you want to be using? Whose government do you want to be under? Do you want to be transacting, you know, like how Jesus taught his people, he said, to give to the poor, you know, and things like that, and lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven by doing good deeds and helping others. So in other words, do the business, transact in the currency of heaven is the moral of the story, because then you become wealthy in terms of heaven. You will have treasure in heaven. This is what Jesus taught. And while he was ministering on earth, he was never wealthy in earthly terms. Jesus didn't seek earthly wealth, and neither did his disciples. And so when we look at this now, and we ask ourselves, okay, you know, do you want to be wealthy in terms of George Washington's, or do you want to be wealthy in terms of Satoshi's? Which one is more in alignment with the kingdom of God? Which one allows you to do more good? Which one promotes the development of a character that is suitable for eternity? Which one encourages true 
philanthropy and not the kind that we see in the world today where rich people like Bill Gates, who have stolen essentially the money from the masses, you know, through the Cantillon effect and all these things, their form of philanthropy is actually redistribution of wealth, directing wealth that was taken from the general population, and then they're giving it back to specific people who are doing their will. So in a sense, it's not true philanthropy. It's actually just plain old redistribution of wealth. True philanthropy is when you give of yourself to others, to do good for others. And that's enabled by Bitcoin, not by the fiat system. So that's kind of a little aside there. But all of this is relevant to the fact that we're dealing with kingdoms when we're dealing with money. The foundation of a kingdom is its money itself. And when we're speaking about whose inscription is on the money, it's very significant that Bitcoin in its basic unit of the Satoshi does not have the name of a king, but it has the name of an anonymous individual. There are memes out there you know, many Bitcoiners, plebs, uh, the common people, they say, we are Satoshi because they recognize that as node runners, the body of sort of common people who are running the nodes and enforcing the consensus rules of the network, they are the ones who are actually maintaining the network. So in a sense, they are Satoshi now. So in a sense, Satoshi Nakamoto lives through them and will continue to live on as long as node runners continue to run their nodes. So it's quite appropriate, actually, to say we are Satoshi. And if you think about it then in the context of, well, who owns the money then? Whose kingdom is it, really? Well, then you have to come to the conclusion that, well, it's Satoshi's kingdom. And if we are Satoshi, it's our kingdom. And isn't that the essence of what Bitcoin is? It's money that is truly held by the individual, you know, by virtue of the fact that you alone have mastery over your private keys. And that gives you alone the authority to direct the management or movement of your funds, that is very different than the existing fiat system that has sort of evolved to the point where money is entirely custodial and it's entirely debt-based. There is no more this notion of that it's your money or that you have control over it. Even the dollar bills that you have in your pocket, physically, under your control, that maybe nobody else knows are there or can force out of your hand, even that money is in the power of the powers that be. They can literally steal it through money printing. And, and, and that's how redistribution of wealth works. No matter how tightly you hold on to those dollar bills, those George Washingtons, the, you know, Washington, D.C., so to speak, can still take it right out of your hand without even lifting a finger just by printing more money and then redistributing that money through their own channels. And of course, if you're not one of those channels, then you're left out and your money has devalued. So 
you think the people in charge of the financial matters are pretty stupid, you know, when they're like, well, they print a whole bunch of money and then they say, oh, oh my goodness, we've got inflation. We've got to, you know, tighten, you know, things down and be hawkish on uh, interest rates and all this kind of stuff. And no, they're not stupid. They know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> they print the money and a lot of it as much as they can because that's how much they want to redistribute, see? And then they go and tighten the rates so that you don't have inflation, right? So that, so the prices don't go up and you think, oh, everything's normal. But what you don't understand, what you don't realize is that all of a sudden you're working for them now. All of a sudden, where you were free before, or at least more free, now you find yourself that you have to work in a place that follows ESG regulations, and you have to follow. You have to work in a place that has strict rules about personal pronouns, or you know, or you have to work in a place where anything to do with health and uh, the vaccine ha has to be handled in a certain way. And all of a sudden, the world is changing around you and you wonder why. And you don't realize that this is exactly what the leaders, the financial leaders were doing on purpose by printing money and then turning around and tightening rates. So that in the end, you think, well, prices, yeah, there has been inflation. Yeah, yeah. But not that much right? Not really worth the trillions, see? So there's a method to the madness, that's for sure. But that's not how Bitcoin works. Bitcoin works where the individual is sovereign over their own money. If they maintain their own private keys in their own custody and not put that in the custody of others. And so that's important to understand because that's what makes you sovereign over your own wealth. And that brings us to what I think is just fascinating, humbling, and amazing. And that's the fact that the money, having Satoshi as the ruler, so to speak, whose inscription is on the monetary unit, and this person is sort of an anonymous anybody pleb individual, we are Satoshi, this means we are the king's the rulers of this kingdom. We are the rulers of our own wealth. Isn't that just amazing? And isn't that fascinating? And isn't that exactly what the Bible says? It says in the book of Revelation, you have made us kings and priests unto God. That is how the kingdom of God works. And that is also what Christianity has taught from day one, that Jesus, by redeeming us and by bringing us into his family, by calling us brothers and sisters, he has declared us as sons and daughters of God, which makes us royalty in the kingdom of heaven. Insofar as we accept Jesus Christ and his character as ours, and his DNA, so to speak, his nature, his perfect sinless nature becomes ours. That's how Christians have taught uh, for 2,000 years that we are children of the king, that we are princes and kings in the kingdom of God. And here today, we see that Bitcoin literally brings a practical fulfillment, a practical manifestation of that very principle uh, in the monetary system. 
I just have to say, wow, to me, this is utterly amazing. And it just shows that Bitcoin is the money of God's kingdom so long as we are here on earth. And the other thing that I think is worth emphasizing and just making a note of is the fact that it specifies in these texts, it gives the description of the 21 million and the 10,000 times 10,000 or 100 million Satoshis per Bitcoin. This is specified in the Bible, in the judgment scene, so that there is no mistake about what currency God is pointing to in the prophecies of the Bible. It's Bitcoin, and it's no other cryptocurrency. It's no CBDC. It's no inflationary currency because there's a fixed number. Even for an infinite God who has an infinite realm, the prophecies give a fixed number, and that can only point to Bitcoin with its 21 million Bitcoins with 100 million Satoshis per Bitcoin as the money of God's kingdom here on earth. Now, it's really, I think, important to look at the context of these prophecies as well and to really just kind of consider the fact that, wow, um, we're talking about the judgment here in these verses. We're talking about, in the book of Daniel, the judgment at the end of the world when, you know, after all the kingdoms of the earth have been done away and the kingdom of God is established, the judgment day has arrived. And in Revelation, it's the same scene. It's the same topic. It's expanded in more detail and it's describing the judgment, the day of the Lord. And it's in this context that we find this number that describes Bitcoin as the sort of size of the army of God's kingdom, so to speak. And just before I get into the judgment topic, uh, let me emphasize that when we speak about the number of an army or the size of an army as corresponding to sort of a fixed supply, uh, this is actually very relevant because as you know very well from recent years, the way that wars are waged today is not the same as they were in the past. What we have now are predominantly trade wars. We have sort of the you know powerful nations on the earth, like uh, the U.S. and China, fighting each other through tariffs, through you know sanctions, through trade restrictions, and this is how the wars are being fought today. With uh, the conflict in the Ukraine with Russia, we have sanctions against Russia as being the primary means that the West is fighting against Russia. And so this notion of the size of an army corresponding to the size of a currency or the fixed supply of a currency is actually a very apt comparison. It is the amount of money that, that you have uh, control over that allows you to wage these kinds of financial wars that we've seen in recent years that we see going on even today. And so when we put this in the context of the last great battle between God and his people and the world and its people, then we see that it's very appropriate and fitting and 
enlightening, I would say, to recognize that the money itself corresponds to the army, the way that God is fighting against the systems of the world today is through his army of satoshis, through his army of plebs, through his army of common people who are moving their money from George Washington's, from the fiat system, into the Bitcoin system. And likewise, the opposite is true, that the way that the world is fighting is by using their George Washington's, which, who, by the way, was a military general, okay? George Washington was a military general, and, and they're using their George Washington's as the soldiers, as the army, to attack other nations. And ultimately, the contest is going to be between all of the fiat systems and Bitcoin. And who's going to win? Is it going to be the George Washington military might armies? Or is it going to be the army of peaceful plebs? We are Satoshi, the anonymous common person that simply by his own choices, his own self-sovereignty, fighting against the system of centralization and corruption, which is going to win? This is what the final battle is all about that's described in the book of Revelation. This is what the judgment is all about. And now we come back to this theme of the judgment. Judgment day has arrived. And the proof of that is that Bitcoin is on the scene. And God's army of thousands of thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 Satoshis is here today. The judgment is set and the books are opened. Now, there are existing interpretations, and uh, you know many people have studied these verses for many years and have understood a lot about the judgment, and I'm not here to discredit that or to speak against it in any way. But what I will say, what is clear from the Bible, is the fact that both Daniel and John saw in their visions all the way to the coming of Jesus, and until Jesus comes, we have to say that that element of their prophecies was not quite fulfilled. There was never fully an explanation for why those particular numbers were used, thousands of thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That particular detail had never quite been understood. But now we can see that we are really at the very end of the fulfillment of these prophecies, because even that has been made clear. So I think this is an amazing way that shows that we have really come to Judgment Day. And isn't that what Bitcoin represents? Doesn't it represent justice and judgment coming to the financial world? Doesn't it represent that all those who have been dealing unjustly with the fiat through the fiat system, that that's all going to come to measurement by the Bitcoin standard. And as Bitcoin grows and ultimately conquers, all these fiat systems are going to basically be brought into judgment. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going away. Okay, that doesn't mean that the dollar is going to go away, and it doesn't mean that any other currency is going to go away. But what it does mean is that they will be brought into judgment by Bitcoin, and you will find out what 
each currency is really worth. Everything will be brought back into balance. And you'll find out how wealthy, uh, you know, people like Bill Gates really are. For example, today you might think he's one of the wealthiest people in the world, but measured according to the Bitcoin standard, that might not be the case. And that's how God is judging the world today through finances. And that is how Bitcoin brings judgment day literally to this world. So I think it's very interesting to think about what implications this has with respect to the return of Jesus. And yeah, we were talking about the judgment and there are different phases to the judgment. The Bible speaks of these different phases in different ways. And I probably don't have time to go into all of that in detail right now. And I think that's pretty well understood and explained elsewhere. But just to kind of summarize it, there's the judgment of those who died in the past, okay, judging the lives of the past. And then there's the judgment of those who are living today. And that's sort of what you and I are living through right now. That's we are being confronted with the question of where do we stand? And that's where it's so important to sort of wake up, look up, recognize where we're at in the flow of time, what the issues are today, what God is calling us to do today, and in particular, what stand we should take in regards to money to ultimately take a stand with Bitcoin against the sort of worldly systems. And by doing so, we are participating, or shall I say, we are living out our own judgment. You know, people in the Bitcoin space uh, often say that you pay the price for Bitcoin that you deserve. And what that means is like if you invest early or invested early when the price was low, then you got it at a, you, you got Bitcoin at a good price. And you deserve that. You deserve then the increase that you receive as a result. Because as uh, Jesus said, uh, different people with different faith, when that seed of faith is planted, it brings forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some 60-fold, some 30-fold. All right. And those who bought Bitcoin in faith early, they their faith will produce fruit, some 100x, some 60x, some 30x. So that itself is an expression of judgment to those who are alive and witnessing and experiencing what is happening in the financial world today. It's an exciting time to be alive. And it's an exciting time to look forward to uh, what is in store for the people of God as we see the judgment unfolding today. And Christians have always understood that the judgment is a good thing for them. For the people of God, the judgment represents justice. It represents a restoration of what is right and true and good. And it's, you know, in sort of the, the worldly mindset, judgment day is, you know, something fearful and dreadful and, oh my goodness, you know. Uh, but for the Christian, it's not so. For the Christian, it's a joyful, it's a happy, it's a wonderful uh, time because it represents deliverance. It represents salvation. It represents restoration. All these things that have been promised to those who ultimately put their trust in God. 
So we've talked about the judgment of those who lived in times past. We've talked about the judgment of those who are alive today. And there's yet one more judgment, and that's the judgment of the dead referred to in Revelation in the future tense, referring to those who will die in the future, those who will not be saved, those who will be left out of the city of God, those who are without Christ and therefore without life. Their judgment is what begins next. These are the ones to be judged over the course of a thousand years. Um, according to the prophetic timescale. And <laughs> that reminds me of another topic, another really, really exciting topic that I have coming up for you, but we'll save that for later. And so I just want to kind of put that out there to just sort of generally say that there are different phases to the judgment. And when we look at the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and what they say about judgment day, a lot of times we tend to think that's just one literal day and that's the day that Jesus comes or, you know, that all this stuff happens at once. And it's not necessarily quite so. Visions are compact prophecies of the future that are given in symbols and that play out uh, on sort of, you know, larger timescales. And so by the things that I've presented in this episode in regards to Bitcoin and its relation to the judgment, it shouldn't be taken in any way as a contradiction to any existing and well-established, well-founded understanding of the times of the judgment and the phases of the judgment, but it should give additional insight into how Bitcoin in this present time fits into the topic of the judgment in both Old Testament and New Testament. So I think that this is just not just fascinating, not just amazing, but really a powerful piece of evidence that shows that Bitcoin is connected to the return of Jesus and to his kingdom, to the coming of his kingdom, the establishment of his kingdom in a very concrete way. And I think it gives a lot of weight to the idea and a lot of evidence to say that Bitcoin in particular is the answer and is the standard by which the world is going to be judged and not any other DeFi project or any other altcoin or any other uh, type of currency. And like I said, other currencies may continue to endure for however long, but ultimately they will be measured against the Bitcoin standard. And that means that the values will be scaled appropriately. And it will be very interesting to see how that plays out. Kind of a exciting time for the people of God, but also a very fearful and tragic time for those who basically don't believe. So that kind of brings me to the point to reiterate the call for all Christians all churches, to embrace Bitcoin and to start putting your tithes in the kingdom of God. Return unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And that means put your tithe into Satoshi's, okay? And the beautiful thing about it is you still hold custody. You are Satoshi. So 
we could go into a lot more depth on some of these topics. Like, for example, we mentioned how the way that Bitcoin operates with its consensus rules is very similar to how the church operates through its consensus through the Holy Spirit. And remember that the Holy Spirit was given as an earnest, the Bible says, which is, again, a monetary term. It's uh, like when you buy a house. I don't want to say the down payment. It's not quite the down payment, but it's a token of the fact that there is something else coming. And in terms of the reward of the kingdom of heaven for the Christian church, the Holy Spirit was always a token that in the future, the kingdom of heaven would come and it would come in a literal form that uh, would literally be a city, a city of gold that the people of God could enter and own as theirs. They would be literally kings and priests in this kingdom of God. This is something that Jesus described in particular in uh, the parable of the talents where the, uh, well, let's just turn there right now. This is Matthew chapter 25, and this is particularly in the context of the end of the world, okay? Matthew 24 describes the fleeing from Jerusalem and so forth, and the sign of the Son of Man. And then chapter 25 has the parable of the ten virgins, and then the parable of the talents. And this is all in the context. It's in the same sermon. It's, it's in the context of the end of the world. And Jesus said, uh, starting with verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. So the man traveling into a far country is Jesus who traveled far away into the heavens. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. So it says, then he that had received five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. So now we're talking about the coming of Jesus. This is when the Lord comes back and he does his accounting with his servants to see you know, what they've done with the resources that he left in their care when he left. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliveredst unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So he also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went, and hid thy talent in the earth, and lo, there thou hast that is thine. 
His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so here we see in this parable something very relevant to the time that we live in, as we have this financial change coming over the world. And there's a notion here that the servants were entrusted with resources and they and they were to exchange those resources and multiply them. And one way to do that in a practical sense is simply to take your fiat resources, whatever the Lord has given you in your life, through your talents, through your abilities, and you take that and you put it into Bitcoin, exchange it into Bitcoin so that it will multiply. And you could see already how just on a small scale, the price of Bitcoin increased recently when uh, BlackRock announced that it was soliciting an ETF. And when that is approved, then you can imagine that the price will go up even more, you know, quite a bit more. And so a good way to invest your Lord's money, the talents that he has given you, is to use every opportunity, do your dollar cost averaging or however uh, works in your situation to invest as much of your time and talents as you can in Bitcoin now so that there will be a return on your investment on behalf of the Lord for his cause when he comes. And by contrast, the one servant that was given one talent, what he did is he buried it. Now, in other words, he didn't do anything with it. And what happens is if you have dollars, what happens if you don't do anything with it? They lose value. So in the end, this man that buried the talent, he didn't have anything. What little he had was taken away and given to the one who had a lot. And that's exactly what will happen to all those who stay in the fiat system and don't ever invest in Bitcoin. In the end, they won't have anything because the value, even if they bury it and guard it and, you know, keep it safe, the value of it is going to diminish and in the end they will have nothing. But I want to show you how this parable is rendered in other gospels because there's an important point there that makes the situation even clearer. Now, this is Luke chapter 19, starting with verse 12. And it's not exactly the same parable, but, you know, Jesus used the same illustrations many different times. And every time he told the story in a slightly different way to a slightly different audience and for a slightly different purpose. And so you get a different perspective on some aspects. And so as we read this, you'll see some different things come to light that I want to show you here. It says in verse 12 of chapter 19 of the book of Luke, he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So again, that's Jesus, the nobleman who went to heaven to receive the kingdom, the universal kingdom, and then to return. 
And he called his ten servants, and delivered them ten pounds, and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him, and sent a message after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. Sounds a lot like Barabbas, right? You know, when the Jews asked for Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus. Well, that's happening again today on a global scale as people are saying, hey, you know, we want people like King Charles III to reign over us, but uh, they're not choosing Jesus Christ by and large. And so this is really applicable to the time we live in. And uh, as you can see, the parable is again about Jesus departing to heaven and then coming back. So uh, verse 15, And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. So again, we have like in the parable of the talents, we have this case where the servants were expected to earn a profit on the money that was entrusted to them. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. He got a ten x return on his investment. And he said unto him, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. So this man had made a ten x increase on his money by faith in the time while his master was gone. And so when his master returned, he became a ruler of ten cities. He became a king of ten cities. So what this is pointing to is how the earnest, the sort of down payment, the one pound that was given to the servant in the beginning is comparable to like when God gave the Holy Spirit to the church and the church was to be stewards of the resources that God had given until such a time as the Lord would return and Give unto the servants actual possessions in the kingdom, not just money to kind of, you know, be stewards over until a later time, but actually to be rulers over the cities of his kingdom. And that's what's brought to light in this telling of the parable. And the rest of the parable here in Luke is very similar. Um, The other made five pounds with the one pound, and he was given authority over five cities. And so each one was given in accordance to what they were given actual possessions of the kingdom of this Lord in proportion to the return on investment that they had made in the time while he was gone. And again, there was the bad steward that didn't do anything, and he was not given anything. In fact, the one pound that he failed to invest was even taken away. So again, it's not the exact same account in the Gospel of Luke, but the parable is extremely similar and also extremely applicable to the same time, the time of the return of Jesus, as the other parable in the book of Matthew. And it gives that additional insight about rulership over the cities of of his kingdom. And so that is what Christians have understood from the beginning, is that when Christ returns, that they will be made kings in his kingdom, rulers over cities. And by investing in Bitcoin and by holding your own keys and being sovereign over that wealth, Christians are able to sort of participate in that and and live it out today. And so 
I just want to leave you with this and to ask you, which servant will you be? Will you be the one that makes a 10x increase on your pound or by exchanging it to Bitcoin early while the price is low? Or will you be uh, the servant that makes a 5x increase because you were a little late coming into it and you invested uh, only in time to make a 5x increase? Or will you be the one that holds on to that pound, that fiat currency, to the very end until it's worth nothing, until that is even taken away from you and you're left with absolutely nothing and with no possession in the kingdom to come? What you do for the cause of Bitcoin today, you do for the cause of God because Bitcoin is the means that God has given for his people to overcome here at the end of the world, to overcome Babylon and the mark of the beast that's explained in the book of Revelation. So Christians, I urge you to consider these things, make wise choices, and invest in the kingdom of God, invest in Bitcoin. And Bitcoiners, I say, look closely at the words of Jesus and really take note of the fact that Bitcoin does fulfill the prophecies, the symbolic prophecies in the Bible. And that should give you the understanding and the idea that God is real and that you should honor him. And you've chosen a good thing with Bitcoin, but ultimately it is God's will that you live forever in his eternal kingdom. And for that, you need to have a relationship with him, a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is worth even more than Bitcoin. He's worth more than all 21 million. A relationship with Jesus Christ includes adopting his character and looking up to salvation in him and being called by his name. And so I urge you to take a serious look at becoming a Christian. Again, I just want to refer you to the article, The Final Gathering, and encourage you to look up and see what the Lord is teaching from the heavens. So finally, what did you think of the topic? I would love to hear from you, and I think others would enjoy your input as well. So leave a comment. And until next time, stay sane.